Thank you for taking the time to view this message online. You can connect with us more through our comments section of this video, through our Facebook page, or through our website, nhgj.org. In this message series titled Overcomer, we're looking at how Jesus has secured the overcoming victory in his life, but also how he passes along or brings to us that same overcoming victory. For most of us, if we're familiar with comic book lore, what happens is the hero moves in to save the day, uh, receives the accolades and the applause, and then disappears off until another uh, moment requires his or her services. Well, in the real life of the gospel, Jesus not only secures the victory, but also brings to us the ability to live in victory. He makes it possible for us to be overcomers as well. For the first two parts of this message, uh, we've looked at a couple ways. For one, Jesus was the overcomer in the crowd. And it's this invitation that we're uh, welcomed, we're encouraged to boldly step out from the crowd. What, whatever everyone else might be doing, that uh, Jesus encourages us not to just go along with the crowd, but to live the overcoming life that he's calling us to. Jesus didn't live his life just as part of the crowd. He did what the Father asked him to do. He lived his life with an eye and an ear to the Father's will, and then he did that even if it didn't go along with what the crowd was doing. And so he makes that same invitation to you and I, that we would not just go along with what everybody else is doing, but we would develop this ear to hear what the Father says and then do and live according to what he's speaking to us. He empowers us to live as overcomers and not just those who go along with the crowd. In the second message, we looked at this idea that Jesus has overcome sin. As the only one who is God and man, Jesus lived an entirely sinless life. He never uh, disobeyed the Father, but always was in step with what God was asking him to do. He never lived life on his terms. He lived life on the Father's terms. And so this is the reason that he also went to the cross, not, not because of his own sin, but because all of humanity lives with a sin nature. It's what we're born with. And because of that nature, we naturally just have this internal instinct to live life on our terms, to live it doing what we want and living in opposition, not with opposition to God, not with our face in relationship to God facing him, but with our backs to him, walking away from him. So when Jesus died his death on the cross, it wasn't because of his sin, it was because of my sin. It was because of the sin of humanity that caused him to have to take sin upon himself to embody it, crucify it, and bury it. And in that way, he allows us to be overcomers with him, to live a life that though sin at once held its total power over us, we now live with victory over sin because of what Jesus has done. Well, today on this Easter Sunday, uh, we look at Jesus as the overcomer who secured a victory over death itself. Not just sin, not just the crowds, but Jesus overcame death. This is not just a point of history that we look back to in scripture and we point to the resurrection as a reality that, that the tomb is empty. This is a point that we look to uh, that we can experience victory today because of Jesus's victory over death in the past. 
Now, throughout history, Christians have always lived with this unique tension. Uh, they've always been viewed as kind of a peculiar people because of the way in which they live their lives. All throughout history, people have seen how Christians have a high value for life. Historically, we, we have looked at life from the youngest to the oldest, and there's a value there for all generations. Historically, from the, the poorest of the poor to the wealthiest uh, in our society, Christians have had a value for every life. That every person has in, intrinsic worth, regardless of what their title or status in society might be. Christians have this high view of life historically, that, that people are worthy of honor, people are worthy of value because God has created them in his image. And so we're also included in that. You have value because God has created you in his image. And so we have a value for life. But this tension that exists is because Christians have also had this peculiar willingness and a willingness to engage in things that put their lives at risk. They put themselves at risk for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of others. Christians have had a willingness to uh, not look at their lives through a, a uh, pros and cons viewpoint, but being willing to step into the most dangerous of situations without this seemingly uh, regard for their own lives so that they can care for others and they can proclaim the gospel. It was Christians who developed what we now consider the modern uh, public hospitals, and that was born out of their great regard for others and wanting to care for others. But in the midst of that care for others, they put themselves at great risk in order to provide care for others. They traveled to some of the most remote places. Uh, the Christian faith has so many people who over throughout history have gone to uh, the most undeveloped uh, places in all of the world so that they could bring the gospel. But along with the gospel, they oftentimes brought uh, medicine, they brought education to various cultures as they cared for the whole person and not just the spirit of men and women all around the world. And so this idea is that they love people so much because they're created in God's image, but they also don't have a fear of their own lives. This tension of a high regard for life with a lack of fear of death is only understood in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The reason that Christians live life the way that they do, the reason that Christians can have a high view of life, but also not regard life as something to be cherished in a way that fear grips them and keeps them from being able to take action on behalf of others. The only reason that can be true is because Christians are people of the resurrection. Christians understand that Jesus won the victory over death and then not only secured that victory for himself, but also made it available for you and for I if we believe in Jesus Christ. And so this high regard for life, but a low sense of fear over death and what it might hold for us, this creates this sense of a life that is to be lived richly and fully embracing the resurrection that Jesus has purchased for us. 
So in this message, I want to call out that same invitation for anyone who's watching this and, and just thinking about their own life. I, want, I feel this Holy Spirit prompting to draw out and call upon that sense of purpose and life that's born out of resurrection, that's, that's created because uh, followers of Jesus have this ability to live life with passion and with a re without this sense of fear about what might come in the future because we believe in the resurrection, because we know that because Jesus has resurrected, that resurrection life is brought to us as well. Let's pray, and then we'll look at the scriptures. Lord, we thank you for this Resurrection Sunday, and that it's not just something that you uh, overcame death long ago. It's your resurrection life that lives within every person who calls you Lord and Savior, who lives for you. And so, Lord, may it truly not just transform our thinking, but may it transform our living. May the overcoming power, the overcoming victory of the resurrection take hold in our lives in such a way that we live passionately for you, bringing mercy and the gospel message of hope to those all around the world with a passion and without a fear of what is to come, but with a passion for knowing what is to come, the resurrection. And so we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we begin with Jesus' resurrection, and we're going to look at Luke 24, 1 through 6, because that's the, the, the cornerstone that we point to as followers of Jesus. So Luke 24, 1 through 6 says it this way. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. <laughs> that is a praise God moment, hallelujah, as we celebrate Jesus as the resurrected King. This is the testimony that the tomb was empty as the women went to prepare his body with those spices, thinking they were going to uh, leave him in the grave, and yet his body was no longer there. This is Jesus' victory over death itself. He is the overcomer who would not be held by this physical death. But he declared earlier when he was doing his ministry upon the earth, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And so in this way, Jesus leads us in resurrection life. It's his overcoming victory over death that beckons us, that calls us to take, play, uh, take part in this resurrection life as well. If death was the final word over Jesus's life, then death would have been the final word over your life and over my life. But because we have the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is the final word over the power of death. It has been dismantled and disarmed. Jesus, in his resurrection, not only did that for himself, but he's done it for us as well. Life doesn't end six feet underground, but instead, life with Jesus carries with it this promise of eternity for all who believe in him. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, this is so important because it changes the way in which we live life now. Resurrection life isn't just something that Christians 
project towards in the future. We don't just look out into the distance and believe that, yes, resurrection is coming someday. We look at it right now, and it affects the way that we interact with others and the way we view our own lives. In his letter to the church in Corinth, the Apostle Paul shares the same idea. He talks about the body and this life as a tent to communicate how our bodies look and how we're looking forward to a more eternal dwelling wherein we're resurrected, something far more permanent like a house instead of a tent. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1-10, through 10, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and he says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in this body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I really hope you can see the point that the Apostle Paul is making in this scripture but there's this invitation for you and I to join in that overcoming victory that Jesus has provided. The verses we read said a couple times over that we are of good courage. You know, Paul points to this idea, we're of good courage, meaning we don't fear, we're not anxious. We actually have a joy that carries us forward in this life. That joy comes from living with the reality that we know this is not the end. This life as we see it and we experience it, this is not the end of it all. We're not supposed to just grab hold of as much as we can in this life and, and just live it up, air quotes, because this is all there is. No, the Apostle Paul says, we're just in tents right now. We're living in these temporary dwellings or tents and we're awaiting a more permanent home, a building as it were, that we experience at the resurrection, our eternal dwelling that we have with Christ. And so Paul makes this, this case, he says, listen, we groan in these bodies, we groan in these tents because they're so temporary, they, they break down, we know that they don't last forever. And, and so Paul makes the point, he says, it would be so much better for those who are in Christ to be with him, to experience our heavenly bodies, which are our eternal dwelling. And he says, nonetheless, we take courage. We take courage knowing that that's coming because we know that this isn't the end. And so even if our bodies give way and we, we suffer in these bodies, he said, we know that's not the final resting place. And so we take great courage. We know that resurrection is coming for us. So while we'd rather shed this temporary dwelling and live in our eternal home, it's enough to be able to point forward and say the eternal dwelling is coming 
And so we take solace in that. We take courage in that. In the end, he says, whether we're at home with Christ in our permanent dwelling or whether we're in these tents that are temporary, he says, listen, our goal is the same. It's to please him. It's to please Jesus Christ and to glorify him. So whether it's in a temporary tent or whether it's in a permanent dwelling, the goal is the same. So why wait until we're resurrected to really start living? Paul says, listen, live now, Christian. Live the life that God has for you in its fullness now because the goal is the same, to please him. Why wait to heaven to experience the fullness of what God has for you? Why put it off and say, well, someday everything will get better. And until then, I'm just going to make it through somehow. No, Paul would encourage you. And Jesus would also, by saying that he's the resurrection and the life, he would say, live now because the resurrection is coming. Don't live in fear. Don't, don't live in meager ways. Don't live small lives. Live abundant lives in Christ because the fullness of eternal life is still coming. Because we know the grave is not the end, we should all have good courage. We should all take heart, not with a disregard for life, not with a carelessness towards this life, but living lovingly, living freely, and living lightly in the fullness of Jesus. Not with a disregard to life, but in the fullness of life that he's purchased because eternal life is still to come. Jesus' invitation to us is to live knowing that since the grave won't hold us down, we can live freely and courageously for the sake of Christ. Now that last part of that statement is really critical. Our liberation from the grave doesn't move us to do as we please, but it compels us to live boldly, sharing the gospel, the good news of life in Jesus Christ, and showing love and compassion to others. When others are running from the fire, Christians move towards the fire to rescue any that could be saved. We are followers of Jesus who run into dangers, not for the sake of careless disregard of our own lives, but for the sake of bringing others into the kingdom of God. This is the legacy of Christianity. This is the life that has been given to us and so many have modeled before us. This is the type of life that we live with a fullness of life now because we know that the grave won't hold us down in the future. Well, in this message, as I wrap up on this Resurrection Sunday, I wanna share a story going back to the early Christians and how this type of living so marked their lives that it had an impact and it caused many to follow Christ. The story relates to a couple plagues that took place early on in, in uh, history of the early church. The Antonine pl plague ravaged populations in Tigris and the Rhine during the late 200 AD. And it was the plague of Cyprian that killed thousands in those same regions towards the end of 300 AD. Generally, non-Christians would show their kindness through creating endowments and monuments with little care actually for the suffering of the bodies. Christianity, however, offered something much different. They were known as people who demonstrated charity not charity just with financial gifts, but charity through their direct care of others. Specifically, the plague of Cyprian was 
part of what created the crisis of the third century in the Roman world, but it did something else too. It actually triggered explosive growth among the Christian church. Sermons from that time told Christians not to escape and to run for their lives from the plague, but Christians were encouraged to redouble their efforts to care for those who were living. The Bishop of Dionysius described how Christians heeded, uh, were heedless of danger, took courage and took care of the sick, attending to their every need. A century later, the actively pagan emperor Julian would complain bitterly of how the Galileans, a way that they described the Christians, would care for even non-Christian sick people. And the church historian Potneus recounts how Christians ensured that good was done to all men, not merely to the household of faith. You see, these early believers, it's not that they had a disregard for life, quite the opposite. Because they saw how God loves every individual and because they didn't want any to perish without the gospel of Christ, they tended to those who were in the plagues. They didn't run away from it, but they came in and cared for those, sometimes viewed with a disregard for their own life, but it wasn't a disregard for their life. It was a love for others and a recognition that even if they died, the grave would not hold them down, that there was resurrection life for them. They lived completely different than those in their, in their society, in their communities, because they knew the resurrection was to come. Can I encourage you on this Easter Sunday that if you don't know Christ, maybe you're living with this fear and, and the sense that this is all there is, this life is all you have. I wanna to propose to you that Jesus has a different answer to that, a different response. This life is not the end. This life is not all there is. He said he's come to provide eternal life. He himself is the resurrection and the life. And on this Easter Sunday, I encourage you to make a decision to follow Jesus because in that decision, you're going to find a whole new purpose and meaning for your life, not just to live as richly as you can in this life and get as much as you can out of this life, but you're going to live with an eye towards eternity. You're going to live with a recognition that this life no longer has its hold on you because the grave doesn't have a hold on you. You can live freely and lightly, living in the fullness and the abundance of what Jesus wants to give to you. So make that decision today. If you're a Christian watching this, I want to encourage you because you know Christ, he's passed along that overcoming victory over the grave. And because of that, you can rush in whatever the situation is. You don't have to live with any sense of fear about what comes next. You can live freely knowing that the resurrection life is yours in Jesus Christ. And what that means for you and I as followers of Jesus is we don't have to preserve our little corner of this world. We can boldly share the love of Christ. We can boldly proclaim the gospel of God without regard of what's going to come next. We can, we can boldly step into it and just say, we wanna share God's love. We wanna share God's compassion. We wanna be like those Christians of old who have rushed into the burning fires, who have rushed into where the plagues are at, who have cared for those who are sick and in our need and are needy because we have met the resurrection and the life and we know that this life does not hold all of, it, all of our life in it that we too will resurrect just as Jesus resurrected. And this tent 
will be shed away and we'll have our eternal dwelling with Jesus. Let me encourage you, Christian, live boldly for Jesus. Proclaim boldly the gospel and love boldly on behalf of God in bringing his kingdom to this earth because you are people of the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. This Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate not just your victory, though it is great and you're worthy of praise for that. We celebrate the resurrection life you've brought to us. And it gives us great courage and great joy to live in this life, not as people who are fearful and not as hoarders and accumulators in this life, but people who freely give out the gospel and who freely share the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. Lord, would you lead us in this resurrection life? Would you give us great courage and great boldness to live fully for you, knowing that this tent will pass away and then someday we'll have our eternal dwelling with you. But in the meantime, whether we're in this tent or in our eternal dwelling, our goal is the same, to please you, to honor you, and to glorify you. We love you, Lord, and we celebrate resurrection life in you on this day and every day. Amen. You can find more resources for this service at nhgj.org. Email us your prayer requests to prayer at nh4gj.org. If you are a new follower of Jesus, we have a free resource for you called Following Jesus. To receive a copy, send a request to info at nh4gj.org. If you would like to partner with our ministry through giving, you can do that online at nhgj.org giving or by mail to 641 Horizon Drive, Grand Junction, Colorado, 81506. Thank you for being with us and may the Lord bless you.